0: So let's continue. We are on page um, page one fifty one, and we're continuing this conversation about exactly the role of the mitzvah and how the mitzvah, how we have to perceive it as being, yes, a commandment from above, and not necessary for us to actually understand the reasoning, but at the same time, the deeper understanding that we can get and the, the more information that we can glean, the more it will help us actually accomplish the goal and it will become we call, um, in Hebrew, it's a galgal gal, gal um, um I don't remember how, to, how, do you, how do you say that in English. Um, it, it's like a self-sustaining circle. And there's a phrase for that. You know, like the more you do it, the better you get at it, which makes it easier for you to do it again, right? So, so the more you engage with the Torah and the mitzvahs, the easier it is for you to get an appreciation and a sense of why you do it, the easier it is for you to do that mitzvah again. Okay, so we're on the third paragraph. Rabbi H. Levine, Right, so this is uh, the fellow who he likes to use. Uh, he was a, a bit of an academic rabbi, and Rabbi Elias likes to use him as his uh, punching bag, right? Because in his misunderstandings of what Rav Hirsch really meant, he's able to help clarify exactly and define carefully what exactly Rav Hirsch meant. Rabbi H. Levine criticizes Rabbi Shmushan Rafael Hirsch for what he considers to be a narrow humanistic view of the mitzvos as tools to promote moral development and for not perceiving the higher, purely religious dimension of mitzvahs, okay? This criticism fails to grasp what Rabbi Hirsch really says and its roots in Jewish tradition. His This worldly goal of sanctifying one's life in the world is nothing but a restatement of the profound traditional commitment to establish the world under the rulership of God, right? And this is actually the famous source or the phrase of tikkun olam, right? So where does tikkun olam come from? What's the source for that phrase? It says, l'takein olam b'malchus, and it's one of the names of Hashem. So we only say that if we are davening, um, it's, it is a what we daven in aleinu, we actually say this phrase, okay? Aleinu Shabbat, right? So in that, the prayer that we say at the end of each, uh, each and every prayer, we say this idea of to, to establish or to to fix, to rectify the world underneath the kingship of Hashem. So that's really what it's all about. It's not about what it does for me, ultimately. It's about I do it because this is what God wants me to do for his vision for the world. And it has its roots in a deep religious perception. We are indeed enjoined to seek holiness. This, however, is not a theological or metaphysical concept, but a moral one attained by our perfecting ourselves and the world in which God has set us. At the root of the world's imperfection and all sin lies the corruption of man's character traits. And Chazal, our sages, stressed that God gave the mitzvos only in order to purify his creatures, okay? So there's many different perspectives that we can look at, right? Anytime you're engaged in an action, right? So let's say I'm an employee of someone else, right? So I'm working and doing my job. My job is at a, as a fast order cook, short order cook, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm flipping burgers. Right, And hopefully it is in uh, the Matriarch Cafe and these are kosher burgers at the JCC. So I'm sitting there and I'm flipping burgers. They're very good burgers, by the way. I don't get, a, I don't get any referral. That's no kickback that I get for that. That's just because they taste good. Um, so I'm flipping burgers. Now, part of the reason why I'm flipping burgers is because I enjoy watching my hands flip the burger. I think I'm very talented at flipping burgers. And part of the reason why I'm flipping burgers is because the customer asked me to make them a burger. And part of the reason why I'm flipping burgers is because I don't want to get fired. And at the end of the day, because I want to earn a living, right? So you can really look at this from many different perspectives. And in a certain way, right? that mashal, that parable is supposed to illustrate, you can focus on different reasons why we do the mitzvahs and why it is that Hashem wants us to do the mitzvah, right? We can look at different aspects of it. And the question is, what is the primary focus and who you are discussing this with and the context of where this information is being conveyed? And that will certainly color exactly which perspective you're going to choose to give over. Moral perfection is the key to serving God and doing his will. Man will receive the reward for his efforts in the world to come. But these efforts must be made in this world. The story goes that when the Vilna Gayan, right, or Elijah Kramer, when he was on his deathbed, he was very sad. And his students basically said to him, like, you know, Rabbi, like, you didn't, you know, you have a proper perspective of what the purpose of this world is, and what the purpose of that the purpose of this world is only as a preparation for the next world, for the world to come. So you seem overly sad. And he explained that in this world, you can fulfill a mitzvah very, very easily, right? Let's say one mitzvah that he gave as an example was you can spend a couple of dollars and buy yourself a pair of tzitzit. You're a man, right? if you're a woman, also you, in theory, you could do that too. And you buy yourself a pair of tzitzit. And then you put on the piratitit in the morning, and then every moment you're fulfilling a mitzvah. And it's that easy. But in the world to come, there's no such thing as fulfilling a mitzvah anymore. Because in the world to come, it is the world of the soul. And in the world of the soul, there is no desire to do something wrong. In the same way that angels do not have a Torah, do not have a set of laws by which they have to abide, because guess what? They do what God wants. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. Whatever God wants, that is what they want. So too we in the world to come, there's no action. There's no real agency. Our souls are abide with God. So therefore, if we want to accomplish, there's only one place that we will be challenged and we can accomplish, we can achieve, we can make a difference, and that is in this world. Okay. Torah does not reject Olam Hazah as hopelessly evil. The task of man is to use all his faculties to ennoble and sanctify his this worldly life in accordance with the Torah's directives and to overcome the temptations that he encounters. In this way, he makes this world a fitting abode for God's presence. There is no narrow humanism here. It is almost impossible not to sense the deep religious fervor in Rabbi Shamshin Rafal Hirsch, right? So when he gives some of the examples, we've dealt earlier with some of the examples of the idea of how God has willingly restricted or constricted his presence from this earth so that it wouldn't be too easy for us to fulfill his will. But that we actually have the ability to bring God's presence into this world through our doing the mitzvahs, through our listening and learning Torah, we actually are able to bring God's presence into this world. That is certainly not just about the moral imperative to do the right thing for justice. It is certainly not just about trying to make the world a better place. It's actually about building that place for God in this world, right? So it's really both, right? It's the idea of of taking this world and elevating it. And it is the idea of doing so, being able to bring God into this world. By the way, this week's Torah portion, we discussed the, the service on Yom Kippur in the temple. And what we talk about is how after the Kohen, um, Shekht, after the Kohen slaughters uh, some of the animals, he takes the blood and he sprinkles it eight times in the direction of the curtain, right? Which is separating between the holy and the holy of holies. And when he does so, he sprinkles eight times total. He sprinkles once in the upper direction, seven in the lower direction. Now, it is symbolic of saying that our actions in this world are helping us accomplish two different roles. We are always having two different goals in mind, and that is to take the mundane, and to take the actions in this world, the material in this world, and elevate it to bring it up to a spiritual level, elevate it to where we get to the eighth level. Seven symbolizes completeness in Judaism, right? We know seven days of the week, right? And eight symbolizes the level above complete nature. It symbolizes a level upon which we are able to connect with something above nature, which is why a Brit Milah, the, the circumcision, is done on the eighth day. So of her certainly believes that Good and well, he understands very much so. And this is a, a focus of his writings is the idea of building that that place, you know, that, that haven where Hashem's presence can be sensed on earth. A few words are in order, however, to explain why Rabbi Hirsch puts such stress on the achievement of God's goal within this world and speaks so little about man's future in the world to come. And this is something which people have been asking about almost continuously, right, this question of why is there so little emphasis on Mashiach, why is so little emphasis on the world to come. He refers to it repeatedly, of course, and enlarges on it in CBA 1922. Immortality and eternity belong to the essence of men as man, given to everyone as he enters this life to enable him to walk in freedom in the land of transience to lead him to the return to eternity, right? So he's very focused on that, but that's not necessarily the message that he chooses to give over. It is, however, not man's return to eternity that Rabbi Shamsh and Paul finds necessary to stress, but the exercise of his moral freedom, which will relieve to this return and in the process, bring about the sanctification of this world. It must be remembered that the Torah sets two distinct goals. The perfection of this world, which will be marked by the coming of the Mashiach. And second, the attainment of olam Haba, life in the hereafter, which follows a person's lifespan on earth. The same divinely willed actions move the world towards its ultimate goal. And at the same time, prepare the doer, who may not live to see the attainment of this goal, for his otherworldly reward. Remarkably, we find in the Tanakh an almost exclusive emphasis on the messianic goal. While Jewish ethical literature preeminently deals with preparation for the life hereafter. Okay, I want to spend a minute on this and then we'll take a little we'll, we'll break for the night. So what he's trying to, to address is like this. If you want to go into the day-to-day living, what's my daily goal in life? What is all of our daily goals in life? It is to live as a proper Jew today. That's my goal for today, right? In terms of my long-term goals, we can start discussing long-term goals why do I want to live my life in this fashion? Well, I could, like I said before, I could do it because I want to flip the burger. I could do it because I want to make myself into a better person. I'm not happy with where I am today. I want to make myself into a better person. And this, in theory, could be completely independent of any divine ordained commands, right? But then we could also start focusing on greater goals and greater purposes and oftentimes higher purposes. And two of those, right, which are very similar but not exactly the same, is to focus on making the world a better place so that mashiach will be able to come to this world and also on an individual level the goal of, of achieving a eternal life the goal of having to after 120 years right to go to an aden right to go to heaven and not to go god forbid to hell, that's also a focus, right? And these are two focuses on something that will happen, hopefully not so far off in the future. I mean, I shouldn't say that. The first one, hopefully not so far off in the future. The second one, hopefully far off in the future. But in terms of which one we focus on, it's interesting to note that in Tanakh, if you read through Isaiah, right? And you read all about the Messiah, it's always about the Messiah. But when you read the great moralists and the great ethicists of Jewish history and the ones who have taken all of the notes and all of the ideas and lessons throughout the Torah and throughout the oral Torah, the focus oftentimes is actually on the world to come. And tomorrow night, we will discuss why it is so that there's that split between which one is focused on in terms of the writers over the last couple of hundred years or even thousand years, and why the, the Navi, the prophets, are focused more on the era of the Messiah coming. Okay. Take care, everyone. Be well. Have a good night.